Well, hello everybody, and welcome to a new year and the new episode of Freaking Geeks Podcast. Yay, we're back. Um, <laughs> we are back, everybody. It's um, crazy 2016 is is now finally officially gone. Thank God. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. It was such a terrible, <laughs> terrible amount of stuff happened last year and had some deaths at the end of the year that didn't help anything no they just had like last few days of 2016 it's like ah you know we got we haven't reached our quota yet we got one more jeez two more three more you know you know we have george michael passing away we have uh carrie fisher passing away and uh, debbie reynolds her mother passing away that was crazy right i mean there's a lot of people that don't know who Debbie Reynolds is, which is crazy because they're not, yeah, they're not familiar. But she was a huge, um, you know, film and stage actress in the the fifties, sixties, seventies, and I mean eighties. She did a lot of work. All I mean, all throughout her career, up until you know she passed away, she was still actively, you know, acting. Yeah, you know, doing stuff. She was a great dancer. Wonderful dancer, wonderful singer. I mean, she she was kind of one of those people that had everything. It's like when you think of the old Hollywood starlets that it's like you were an actor. Like you could act, you could sing, you could dance, you could do all kinds of things. Uh, That doesn't seem to exist much anymore. I mean, now chances are you're an actor, so you act. Maybe if you're lucky, you might be able to sing a little bit. But back then, back when she came into Hollywood, like you weren't just an actor, you were – you did everything. Yeah, there was no auto-tune or we couldn't amplify your voice. You had to have the talent. Yeah, the talent had to be there and she had it in spades. And she was, yeah, she was very, very uh, gifted. And obviously that gift was, you know, passed on to Carrie. Um, and I guess Carrie was an excellent singer too yeah, as well. She was- like she, she wasn't. One to sing much, but she was good. She was very multi talented and you know, a great advocate of her like mental health. Because every time you know she had a speech, she would mention like make a joke or you know definitely just put it out there in the world. And she wasn't shy about talking about it either. And that's such a great thing. And she had quite the sense of humor. Right, she was a forerunner yeah. of where we're at today where mental health isn't viewed in nearly the the way it was back, you know, even five, ten years ago. Mm-hmm. You know, like she, you know, years and years ago started speaking out about it and you know, I mean this is you know, twenty, thirty years ago, you know, she was already, you know, being honest about what she was going through and you know, that was something that I think was kind of revolutionary. Yeah. At the time. Yeah, she was a great lady. God, it sucks yeah. that that happened. I mean, it's what a freak thing too to have a heart attack in the middle of like your flight. I mean, that's such shitty timing. Right. I mean, there was a nurse and there was a doctor on board, yeah. and they did the best I guess they could. But you know, you're not rushing somebody straight to the hospital. You're trying to land a plane. Yeah. Every you know? second that you're not at the hospital is just a second against you. Yep. And unfortunately, we also saw the passing of George Michael, yeah. who, um, you know, again, for people that are younger, <laughs> you know, um, they might say, well, who who the hell is George Michael? 
you know, she was this guy, like oh, some singer from, you know, the ancient bygone era of the 80s <laughs> <laughs> or the 90s. Uh, but this guy was a truly unique talent and his voice uh, was exceptional. He was a great, very, very gifted musician. Um, he, there's a, a YouTube clip. If you go on there, uh, if you type in Freddie Mercury, um, his concert, his tribute concert. So George Michael did yeah. a, a song. It was somebody to love. He did somebody to love, which is a, a great song by Queen. And it's difficult by any standards to do. But man, did he, he is the only person that I could think of. And certainly, obviously, you're seeing it if you watch the clip. Uh, he knocked it out of the park. I mean, he's the only person that could hit the highs or come close to hitting the highs that Freddie Mercury could hit when he was alive. Yeah. And so for him to go and do that song, it showed you the pipes on this guy. This guy had range. <laughs> and um, seriously, just to see another great, you know, artists pass away. And, you know, it doesn't really matter how they died. You know, I don't care if it's, um, you know, a tragedy or if, if it's something that they were dealing with in private for years. I don't care about any of that. The fact is a light was lost. Yeah. And unfortunately, we lost a lot of lights last year. Yeah. Um, last year was brutal. Of, I mean, Alan Rickman. I mean, Prince. David Bowie. Like, David Bowie, the list goes on and on. Um, there's just so many. You could, you could. I think there was something like twenty <clears throat> plus people of real, like really great, great people in their field of you know entertainment, um, that passed away. So, unfortunately, you know, death had to take a few before the year was out. Yeah, I mean, so. like, <clears throat> why would heaven want commoners, right? They're going to take the good ones. <laughs> yeah, take the talent. Um, so, anyway. <laughs> Happier uh, thoughts. Yeah, right. Uh, I'm sorry to open this up with uh, some pretty sad thoughts here. But, you know, we're kind of recapping, you know, the very end of last year. Because we haven't had an episode since, um, like, the 23rd, I think. 22nd, 23rd is when we, yeah. we did our last episode. And that was the Christmas special. Uh, so, it's just you know, what happened after we were finished for the year. And, you know, the slightly longer break was due to the fact that Sarah and I both got sick. At the same so. time with the same illness. So pretty much last week, we pretty much just sounded like death. And there was really no point in talking because you wouldn't want to hear us talk. It would just be horrific. <laughs> yeah, it was bad. And neither of us sounded good. And we're pretty much fine now. I mean, I still have a little bit of a cough, and, and hopefully that won't crop up too much during, you know, our recording. Uh, but we did a few uh, podcasts the other day, and, you know, it was a little bit of coughing in there. But The longer you know, we, we try went to keep on, our the best. more it increased. <laughs> well, you know, after you talk for, you know, an hour or two, it, it tends to... <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> it tends to do that. <laughs> so, yeah, it just it just works at your throat for a while. So, anyway, let's kind of jump into, you know, some news and things uh, of note for this year. So, why don't you take it away? Well, here's more happy news. <laughs> Not really. Um, the first, like, gaming news out is that Scalebound has been canceled 
and this is a game that was supposed to come out late last year, but got delayed due to, you know, the creator wanting to polish it more. And the news just came out that it officially got the axe, which was, like, super surprising. It was something that was, like, visually stunning. The first trailer for it came out in 2014 at E3, and it looked amazing. And even the creator said this is going to change the uh, gaming world, and it's going to shock everybody. And it got cancelled, and so I'm like, I'm really pissy about it. This is something I was looking forward to. It was really interesting looking. Yeah, it's unfortunate when games that you uh, looking forward to, things that you've <laughs> seen pictures of or you've seen tra- even trailers of, it, it doesn't often happen that uh, their trailers come out for games to get canceled, but on occasion it does happen. Yeah. And unfortunately, in this case and in other cases, uh, that happens. And, you know, the sad part is studios try their best to make you think that the game is salvageable and maybe they truly believe it maybe it's one of those things where they think there's could be last second funding um obviously you know if it's being canceled it's because they've basically bankrupt it was bankruptcy um and they pretty much spent you know all their money uh, for whatever reason the project didn't get finished or finished in time and uh, they couldn't find more money and so they had to you know fold it and unfortunately, I think that's what happened here. So sad. Yeah. Sad. Very sad. And it's not something that has that niche like the Silent Hill PT trailer did where you know, that got axed, but it got picked up and it converted something Hideo Ki- Ugh, Kijoma is doing, Death Stranding, and actually got you know new life to it. But this doesn't seem like the thing that's going to get a second chance. <laughs> just sad probably not probably not it doesn't have the (laughs) legacy attached to it yeah so um it happens so what what about new year's resolutions this year so my new year's resolution this year is to try (laughs) and read a book each week and not cough myself to death holy crap (laughs) (laughs) but yeah i'm gonna try and read a book every week it's something i've kind of got laxed on and want to try and pick up again and get really into so I picked up H.P. Lovecraft and started to do the uh, Call of Cthulhu <clears throat> classic. Mm, okay. Okay. He is a very dry writer. <laughs> like, he's lucky he was a freak and wrote interesting, creepy stuff because he's. it's so hard to read. It's so very dry, but that's what I'm working on right now. I might switch to something different because of how dry it is, but that's currently what I'm reading. Hmm. <laughs> Well, my New Year's resolution, uh, apart from uh, going back to the gym, you know, kind like of reinvest. <laughs> right. Which, you know, I do that every year, but I, I tend to have pretty good success until I usually, on the three quarter mark of the year, I, <laughs> I tend to get a bit lax. But, you know, it's a good thing to strive for, if nothing else. Uh, but apart from that, um, I want to. Watch more of the classic movies, uh, a lot of the great movies that I haven't seen yet. I mean, I've seen a lot of great movies. Um, you know, the list of like, you know, 100 movies to see before you die kind of thing. Casablanca, uh, stuff like that. You know, yeah, and I've seen some of those and uh, a lot of those. But I mean, there's still quite a bit that I haven't seen. There's some foreign films I want to watch. Um, some great, just some great stuff that I haven't been uh you know, fortunate enough to have watched already, 
you know, whether it be uh, because of time, you know, not having enough time or, um, you know, just life, you know, being the way I need <laughs> to just kind of say, all right, you know, I have, you know, three or four hours today. I'm going to use a couple of those hours. I'm going to watch this movie that I haven't, you know, managed to cross off my list. So that's kind of one of the things. And also I do want to read more as well. And I'm also working on my own book. So, you know, I've got a lot of, a lot of projects and a lot of, <laughs> a lot of, um, you know, things that I've uh, decided I need to kind of attack and chip away at. So I remember you started that around the same time, or you had started before you started Hungry for Hannibal, right? Um, the book, you yes. mean? Um, a different book, oh. actually, from the one that I'm currently writing. Okay. So the one I'm working on now is is definitely different. Um, it's much more serious and kind of uh, present day kind of thing as opposed to the one I was working on before. The other one I'm going to do as well, but I'm kind of putting that on the back burner for now. So So is it going to be a full-fledged book or a novella? Oh, it's going to be a novel. Gotcha. Definitely a novel. So. Um, but that's it. So anyway, let's uh, chat about 2017. Yes. That's... What are the things we're looking forward to this year? A lot. 2017 looks like it's going to be a great year for movies and games. Specifically, like my number one, Beauty and the Beast, is coming out this year, and that looks fantastic. They just released a clip of Emma Watson singing, and oh my mm-hmm. god, if you can't love her enough already, this just seals the deal. <laughs> yeah, yeah I, I did watch the clip, and she sounds really good. Yeah. Really good. Like, I know it's probably some bits tuned up a bit, but still, like, the base of it, it still sounds amazing. So, she's going to make a great bow. Um, a movie I'm really looking forward to seeing is coming up in a couple weeks, Split, M. Night Shyamalan. I love M. Night Shyamalan early stuff. No one likes his middle stuff. <laughs> but the early stuff is so good that I can't help but actually go and see whatever he's putting into theaters. And I'm hoping after The Visit was you know a really good movie, I'm hoping this is kind of the comeback of M. Night Shyamalan and actually legitimate movies you know <laughs> right i think well i think his he got to a point where he, i think he got too big-headed oh, yeah. in his career um <coughs> he got he got puffed up there was a lot of uh ego there and i think he, almost like he could do no wrong kind of thing i mean that's just you know what i think i mean i, I have no access to this guy i don't know the tr- the true story it could be accurate it could be completely opposite you know maybe or or something in between but i I just feel like that's probably what happened and i think the happening was the low point it was the nail in the coffin of m night Shyamalan's work really was (laughs) yeah that was pretty pretty bad nothing happened yeah my my wife went and saw that um when we were dating she went with i think a friend maybe her cousin or a friend of hers anyway I guess they came out of the theater. Let's say they were, <laughs> I think underwhelmed would be, <laughs> underwhelmed, underwhelmed would be a positive <laughs> uh, description of how they viewed this movie. I mean, she basically said, um, 
it's one of the worst movies she's ever seen in her life and it is. Uh, she can't get she can't get that that time back she can't get those two hours back <laughs> yeah i almost so. got kicked out of the theater because my best friend who was stoned when he watched this was just screaming at the tv or the theater <laughs> screen like nothing's happening <laughs> she's just <laughs> lovely <laughs> um yeah so i want to see split too <laughs> Split's looking good. If it's good, we'll um, talk about it. But if it's not, we'll just kind of just brush it under the rug. <laughs> uh, I see you've written down Resident Evil Final Chapter. Yes. Um, so I'm going to make a admission here. Um, I'm a, I like the first couple Resident Evils. But for me, just does. my opinion, for me, they take a nosedive. Yeah, I agree. And, and unfortunately... I, which is really stinks too because um what's her name? Mila um, Jovovich. Mila Jovovich. I, I like her as an actress. Yeah, she's phenomenal. Um, all you have to do is look at go watch Dazed and Confused. And Fifth Element, holy shit. <laughs> and Fifth Element, yeah. I mean, she's got talent, you know, she's good actress. I mean, she's got there's something there. Uh unfortunately each incarnation of this movie <laughs> franchise just it gets more and more it gets more ludicrous as each each one it's goes true. by it's and it's, true. but you know maybe this is the last one and maybe they'll bring it back to respectability um yeah and the guy who makes these is her husband so they yeah. do this together each time and i can't help i can't help but actually keep watching it's like something like it's gotten better the last couple ones because that oh, I think it was the fourth one or the third one that was just god awful. I'll never watch it again. But I think it was the one in Las Vegas. <laughs> yeah, uh, I just I want them to make a good wrap up and I want it to end well because it is a great concept and the actors and actresses involved are so amazing. Like let's have a good send off. <laughs> yeah, we can hope. <laughs> Uh, let's let's hope for the best. Um, Alien Covenant. It uh, looks great. Yes. The trailer looks fantastic. This is like the bridge film between Prometheus and Alien. Yeah, and I'm not one so, of those people that didn't like Prometheus. I thought it was great. I thought it was a good movie. Yeah, yeah I liked it. I, I could see the people that had the problems and why. I don't disagree with with their viewpoint per se i just the things that most people had a problem with i just didn't bother me yeah but i understood where they were coming from exactly it never bothered me either hmm. just like okay yeah. <laughs> and the big whammy for this year for me is the dark tower this is something that's been in production for over a decade and mm-hmm. it's something i never thought would ever get to the screen because of its massiveness and it's like <coughs> this book by Stephen King it's seven books and the last one's a good 1200 pages long they just keep getting longer each time I couldn't imagine how they could put it onto the TV so I'm on board I'll watch it I I'm not going with high expectations but I'm just praying that's gonna be good yeah I'm uh I don't have high expectations <laughs> and that's mostly because the original idea for this it was supposed to be a tv show yes i liked that uh well the, the go along with i believe it was a trilogy as well in movies and the original idea was to have uh, i think it was benicio del toro um was going to play roland and i can't remember who they decided or if they decided on anybody for the man in black however 
Um, I like that idea a lot better. And I know Ron Howard was supposed to direct yes. and be the producer for the TV series. So like all this was set up and right before it was really supposed to get underway, it just collapsed. Yep. So I, I like, you know, the actors involved in general. I'm just not, I'm just worried that what we're going to get is a piece of crap. Yeah. Like I, love Idris Elba. I love McConaughey. Actors are great, but I do think McConaughey should be playing Roland. I think he was made to be that role. I love Idris, Idris Elba, but I just feel like stay true to the book. It's it's taking such a turn to like it's starting off with Roland and um Jake. Yeah, Jake mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. <sighs> I think they're going to hop all over the place. And I just, I, I don't know. It's going to, I don't have any thoughts yet. I'm starting to say underwhelmed and hopefully it'll, you know, take me by surprise, but I don't know. I don't know. I don't have strong feelings. Yeah. Um, we good games. We have resident evil two, uh, seven, or seven. Yes, you're right. I can't see. <laughs> um, Biohazard for uh, VR. Yes, this is highly yeah. anticipated and very much talked about horror game. And if you go onto YouTube and look up like the uh, Resident Evil VR demo and watch people play this, it's hilarious. People are so scared and they freak out. <laughs> I always have uh, Horizon Zero Dawn, which looks great. That's yes. a game I'm excited for. Can't wait for that. Uh, supposed to be out months ago, but they delayed it, which is fine. Common. I mean, that's just, yeah. Um, Days Gone uh, for PS4, which looks good. I'm excited for that, too. Kind of an open-world zombie game. And it looks like it's going to have a good and... story, which is important, especially when it's another zombie game. You know, have a good story. Well, you know, you're, you're ready. You're going up against The Last of Us, so that's, if you're going to separate yourself, you better come up with something good. <laughs> exactly. That's the um, peak of quality for zombie. And that lasts too. So. That one is going to be interesting because already they have like a little trailer demo out and it's so, it's even more fucked up than the first game was. And the first game was disgusting. <laughs> so I can't, <laughs> I, I want to see what they get away with because they got away with so much on the first one. Like What, are, what the hell are they going to do? Uh, but yeah, that one looks pretty good. <laughs> Well, and one thing we forgot to mention in terms of movies uh, to look forward to, of course, we have Star Wars at the end of the year. Oh, so, uh, right. I always, episode eight. It's the end of the year. I always forget about it. Yep. So, yep. So that's going to be huge. Um, there's a lot more. I mean, we've got, you know, we'll probably end up doing a list here uh, in the coming months as we get closer to the summer where we talk about like the, the movies we're really looking forward to. Um, uh, more of a deeper list, but for now, uh, this is fine. I mean, there's the ton. There's, you know, Captain America and, you know, all this stuff that's coming out. Thor, Ragnarok is coming yeah. out. I mean, there's just there's just so much. Logan. Logan looks amazing. Yeah, it does. Um, so, yeah, it, there's a ton. Uh, but, you know, we could spend a whole episode just exactly. discussing, you know, <laughs> movies that are coming out this year that we want to talk about. You know, and we want to see and we want to you know, go in depth on. So, all right. Um, and then, you know, things that could last of us part two, you know, that looks great. Uh, it's, it's not coming out this year. I don't expect uh, it to come out in 2017, but hopefully early 2018, we'll be getting that. 
possibly uh death stranding um and red dead redemption 2 again i think those are all 2018 releases yeah that's my opinion i think so too because they could say you know late 2017 but that usually means early 2018 (laughs) yeah add uh add on to that final fantasy 7 remake um that's gonna be huge uh but i'm expecting that to be a 2018 it's another final fantasy (laughs) It's a remake of Final Fantasy VII. It's, oh, okay, um, and that's the one you really like, right? Yeah, ah. that's yeah, that's that's huge. Um, so that's going to be the, when that thing comes out. That's going to dominate <laughs> for weeks. Um, I'll have to play that one. <laughs> all right, so let's talk a little bit about what we're reviewing today. So I chose for the first uh, movie of the year. It's uh, Amadeus, which came out in 1984 um, and is about the, I guess, battle, you could say, the uh, jealousy that exists between Antonio Salieri and uh, Wolfgang Wolfgang Amadeus Mozart. Mm -hmm. And, of course, if you're (laughs) you're living under a rock – you probably know at least who Mozart is. You probably also know some of his music, even if you're not someone that listens to classical music. Uh, but, you know, he is among the greatest composers of all time. If you were to make a list, you know, he's easily top three. And I think for a lot of people, you probably would be up there with, you know, Beethoven uh, vying for number one. Yeah, absolutely. So. Like between those two, it's always... You're always on one side or the other way to think who's on top, but those are the two main dominant classical guys. <laughs> I'm trying not well, to cough. <laughs> Gee, you're actually doing worse today than you were the other day. I know. <laughs> it's taking a toll on me. <laughs> All right. Well, um, Amadeus was uh, directed by Milos Forman. Or actually, I should try to pronounce it correctly. Milos Forman. Um, <coughs> it was actually a it was actually a Peter Schaefer play, Tony Award winning Peter Schaefer play, I believe in 1981. And the story behind it is that Milos went to see the play, and he the, the he was approached about possibly making a movie out of it. He wasn't excited. He was very reluctant because. Up to that point, most of anything, uh, whether it be movies or TV shows or whatever, regarding uh, anything classical, uh, musicians, things like that, uh, tended to be very dull affairs. So he wasn't hopeful. However, when he watched the play, he was blown away. He thought it was fantastic. Um, and he approached Peter Schaefer when they were in like the uh, – in the break between, you know, in, in the play when there's the break in, in between uh, parts where he went and said, if part two is as good as part one, I will make a movie out of this. <laughs> and of course it was. So they did all the, <laughs> excuse me. Yeah. So we do apologize. We really do. Um, is unfortunately, which this is what you get when you get your uh, sick at the beginning of the year. 
Yeah, that's what happens so anyway. when people send viruses over your computer and get it to you. Because <laughs> that's clearly how it works. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, um, this movie was a pretty big undertaking. Uh, Milos and uh, Peter Schaefer hold themselves up, often coming, well, not to physical blows, but let's just say... Um, the pressure was there because <laughs> they had to work on the script together. And so they would hold themselves up for days on end working on this script because the stage play, while great, wouldn't be, you know, uh, workable rate going into a script for the, the movie. So what they had to do is they had to sit and they had to take the play, take all the elements out that would translate well, and then they had to go and find a way to beef up the movie script. And so they had to add some more stuff in and they had to, to kind of look at it from a different angle and they had to make the characters. Um, I want to say a little more three dimensional, but the stage play was a little darker. Um, and so the characters there were more about uh, pushing forward themes as opposed to being the full three dimensional characters you would need when you're filming a movie. So they did a lot of work. They spent, you know, weeks and weeks uh, working on the script. And eventually they got they came to a point where they felt like what they had was definitely what they needed to, to make the movie. They went and they got financing from Salzance and uh, they started casting. So this movie is uh, a Best Picture Award winner and won it and won Best Picture at the 85 Academy Awards. F. Murray Abraham, who played uh, Salieri, he won Best Actor. And unfortunately, Tom Hulse, who was uh, Mozart in this movie, was also nominated for Best Actor. That's the sad part here. Um, because Two if one of them. Characters. Yeah, if, you, if one of these guys would have been a supporting actor, uh, been nominated in the supporting actor role. Uh, which they weren't, and uh, they're really co-leads. But you know, if like if Tom had been in the supporting actor, uh, she would he would have he would have won an Academy Award as well. It's just sad because you know only one person could win. And even uh, Abraham, when he went up to accept his Oscar and he was talking, he said, "You know, Tom really deserves to be standing up here right next to me." So that's the unfortunate thing. It won eight. It won eight Oscars. Mm-hmm including Best Director. And it stands um, uh, rated as one of the best best picture winners of all time. Yes, number 89 on the list. Yes. So, Amadeus, what is it about? <laughs> well, Amadeus is about the relationship that exists between Antonio Salieri and Wolfgang Amadeus Mozart. And it really covers the last 10 years of Mozart's life, around 25 years old to 35 years old, which is when he died. And the movie kind of jumps back and forth in time because what we see early on is the old Salieri. At this point, he's a, a very old man, and he ends up trying to kill himself uh, and ends up... Because if you try to kill yourself, you're basically deemed insane. Yeah, you get into the so he, Yes, he was put into an asylum. 
a priest comes to try to get a confession to absolve him. And uh, he goes and tells the story about how um, he killed Mozart because that's what he kept screaming yeah. when he tried to kill himself. So what we see here is this jump back and forth as Salieri narrates his story to both the priest and, of course, to us. And then we go back and we actually see the events play out. Uh, it's such a wonderful narrative device. It's it's just well done. Um, the makeup for 1984 to make F. Murray Abraham look much, much older. Uh, you would think back then that the makeup would not be that great and that it wouldn't hold up today, but it does. And he looks great. He spent four and a half hours every day uh, that he had to film scenes for this portion of the movie, he had to spend four and a half hours doing makeup just so that they could film. It so he would come impressive. in, at, yeah, come in at four thirty in the morning, and he didn't get to start filming until nine a.m. He better have some coffee on standby. <laughs> right. So before we go into anything, uh, talk briefly what your thoughts are on this movie broadly. <coughs> Okay, so this is a three-hour-long movie, so it's, it's so hard to, like, surmise your thoughts, right? And um, But it was fantastic. I mean, the acting was incredible, the story. I mean, I, I love how cohesively everything is blended, where you can have, you know, two, three-minute-long you know, pieces of opera just playing, and you're still so enveloped into the story because they're showing you Soleri and his reactions and the Emperor and still pieces of the story. You're not just like, nothing's choppy. Everything is smooth. When you cut from, you know, Soleri's older man to talking about Mozart in his younger years to, you know, concerts and operas and all of that. I mean, it was wonderfully done. Like, that was the one thing I was really impressed by was just how great they melted it all together you know oh absolutely um this movie really it's one of those movies where you not only is there great acting uh you have a great great acting i mean really fantastic characters obviously mozart and salieri being the two standouts but music itself is the third character here very much and they utilize the songs. They don't just play the songs as background, right? They utilize the songs in such a way as to uh, reinforce themes and ideas and punch up scenes where they're trying to say something. And that's what makes music a third character. It's when it's not just background noise. It's where it actually has a purpose. And it's such a big thing in this movie. It's his music is all throughout the film, but it's it's played <coughs> it's played when they feel like it's necessary, and it's just fantastic. And uh, <laughs> I love it. His the soundtrack for this movie is fantastic. It's a it's something that most people should listen to at least once. But something tells me if you listen to it once, you'll probably want to listen to it many more times because. <laughs> It's really, really good, and I have the soundtrack for this. Yeah, it's phenomenal. I mean, like, and not all of us listen to classical music on a you know daily basis, but I think most of us occasionally 
drift of classical music for, you know, thinking or whatnot. And this is the perfect soundtrack for just having on and being able to, you know, drift off into thought or just be inspired. I mean, it's fantastic. Precisely. So, um, what would you say is the biggest strength to this movie? It has so many strengths. <laughs> I mean, there's no weaknesses. That's that's the hard part. <laughs> um, but its main strength, it's got to be the acting. I mean, I never felt for a second that they were acting. I mean, it felt like we were actually watching history. I mean, the guy who plays Mozart, I mean, he wasn't scared to, like, portray someone who was yeah, brilliant, but also just this vulgar, disgusting, kind of vile person. And his laugh, oh my god, the laugh. <laughs> like, it's the most horrible thing you could ever hear. For someone who creates such beautiful sounds, <laughs> him himself is just the worst. <laughs> right, that that laugh is... It's the, it's the worst laugh, the most annoying <laughs> sound I think I've ever heard. Uh, but I love how it's just part of his character. Um, and you're right. I mean, we'll, we'll get into we'll get into discussion. I mean, we'll, we're going to do a recap here, uh, but we'll get into a discussion here about you know Mozart's character uh, because it's it's such an interesting one. Cilieri. Cilieri has like this really great arc in this movie. Mozart, not as much, but the the subtlety isn't there like there is with Cilieri. But it's because Mozart is such a larger than life character, right? I mean, this is this is a lot of ways this is about Cilieri's descent, you know, mm-hmm. and uh, Mozart is just who he is it's more he's more a tragic figure and Salieri is a tragic figure as well there's no doubt about that but it's just they're kind of on two different tracks the tragedy from Mozart is that his character weaknesses ended up being his the cause of his death (laughs) and Salieri's uh, tragedy is that his Jealousy um, and pride are ultimately, you know, what bring him down, you know, at the end of the day. Yeah, for sure. So uh, let's jump into the movie. So (laughs) the movie opens up with some servants going up to uh, Salieri. This is the present day in the movie. So Salieri at this point is old. Um, they're knocking on his door. He won't come out. Uh, they hear uh, a scream. Um, they hear noises of, of a distress, essentially. Um, they try to get the man to come out. They've got food. He won't do it. They're um, stuffing their face with the food. Right. I mean, they're probably hungry. They probably don't get much food. So, um, But they end up breaking down the door to get inside, and they see Salieri has tried to kill himself. He has uh, slit his own throat. Yeah, lots of blood, lots of corn syrup. <laughs> yes, yeah, definitely. So uh, he gets transported immediately, probably to the hospital. 
uh, or some place to get taken care of, and ultimately he is put to the asylum. Because um, as I said before, if you try to kill yourself, essentially you're deemed crazy and you get put into an asylum. So, uh, Yeah, being crazy back in that day is no fun. Right. Oh, yeah. As you can see, the asylum is no place you want to be. No, it is disgusting. You better have like the perfect peak mental health because you do not want to end up there. No, no, definitely not. Uh, so a priest comes to try to um, get a confession out of Salieri. Salieri, of course, said as he was trying to kill himself, he was begging for Mozart to forgive him because he said that he had killed Mozart. And so the the priest is trying to get a confession so he can absolve him of his sins. And... Um, Salieri ends up, well, he, he tries to get the priest to recognize one of his songs. I'm going to play a clip here uh, where Salieri is, he plays some of his own music, uh, trying to get the priest to uh, hear his tune and recognize it. And he then also plays some Mozart. So uh, listen to this scene and uh, we will talk about it in a second. How well are you trained in music? I know a little. I, I studied it in my youth. Where? Here in Vienna. Ah, then you must know this. I can't say that I do. What is it? It was a very popular tune in its day. I wrote it. Here. How about this? This one brought down the house when we played it first. It is not too familiar. Can you recall no melody of mine? I was the most famous composer in Europe. I wrote 40 operas alone. Yeah. What about this one? Yes, I know that. Oh, that's charming. I'm sorry, I didn't know you wrote that. I didn't. That was Mozart. Wolfgang. Amadeus Mozart. 
Okay, so what did you think about this scene? Um, this is like your first introduction to Salieri in in not because at this point he's already tried to kill himself. We're now actually getting to see who he is as a person. So, what did you take from this scene? Yeah, this is the very beginning of getting to know anything about him, and I mean his music is lovely. But it's just not something that's stuck in people's brains like Mozart has. And just to see the, f- the look on his face when the priest recognizes Mozart, not his. It's so... He, like, he understands that his music is fleeting. It, it will be forgotten. And it's just... It looks so painful on his face. And But they <coughs> have this moment where they cut to you know, his music live. And it's, it's so beautiful. Yeah, and you could yeah. you could see. I mean, look, his music is good. You can see it. Yes. You know, he's not playing little dinky dink tunes on the piano. I mean, this not is scales. <laughs> yeah, this is full scale opera. Um, he's he's obviously a composer of some note. Otherwise, you know, he's not going to be the composer, uh, the court composer for the king, right? Yeah, so exactly. so you don't get to you don't get to be court composer for the king because. You are a terrible composer, but then there, there's great composers, and then there's Mozart. You know that'd be like, um, you know, if you're a tennis fan, it's like, okay, uh, you could be Roger Federer, who many would acknowledge as the greatest tennis player of all time, or you could be Leighton Hewitt, who is also one of the great all-time players. But he's down here, Fetter's way up here, right? It's just, it's just <laughs> two different levels uh, when you're talking about com- you know these composers. So, and that's what we're seeing here. You know, he already recognizes the brilliance of Mozart. So, you know, he plays his tune. Obviously, it doesn't get any kind of recognition. He then plays Mozart, and of course, you know, everyone knows Mozart, right? He's like, oh, it's so lovely. It's so you know, it's so great. You know, I didn't, uh, didn't know that you you did that song. And he's like, no, I didn't. You know, that was Mozart. And I just already you can see the jealousy. Mm-hmm. It's still there, burning. Right. So he goes on to talk about his father. When I mean, he talks about Mozart as a child, right? So as as he was. You know, being a kid and just having fun, Mozart was performing for kings and blindfolded and doing all these tricks. And his father's like, "What do you want to be a monkey?" You know, uh, you know, traveling around just just doing things to impress people. And his father obviously was someone who didn't think music was all that important. And unfortunately, his father dies. Well, Salieri was like, "Yeah, this is the best thing that ever happened to me." I know. I mean, it's like, like what did you think when he was like laughing? He's like, "Oh, my father died." It was like it reminded me of the moment where Arya Stark comes to like the Vale and they tell her that her aunt's dead, along with like after her, she's found out like her whole family's dead, and she just starts laughing. <laughs> That's what it reminds me of. Like he's just like, "Oh, finally, like whatever, I'm free, and like this just worked for me. God actually listened." <laughs> yeah. Uh it's just, yeah, it's, 
It's <laughs> child laughs I, at their I, parents' I, death. It's so weird. It's like I mean, I'm sitting here. I'm like, how do I even? What do I even say to that? <laughs> you really must have had zero emotion to your biological father. Well, he's he was in his way. He he was keeping him from all the dreams that he had. You know. Yeah, the love of his the music is nothing compared to the love of his family. <laughs> Right. Right. Exactly. So anyway, so he talks about uh, the first time that, you know, he gets to see like Mozart and he goes, I mean, you know, you see, you see Mozart in this movie initially Saliara, of course, doesn't know who he is. He's never seen Mozart before. He doesn't know what he looks like, doesn't know what he sounds like. All he does is know his music. You know, he knows him for the prodigy that everyone, you know, has talked about for years. And now that he's an adult, right, I mean, his legend has only grown. But he doesn't know who he is. He's never met the guy, right? So he's obviously very, very interested in... And probably thinks that he's even more superior than himself in you know, elegance and character and, you know, the way he composes himself. Yeah. Now, you know, what did, what did you think? What did you think when you saw Mozart as a child being taken to all these courts and doing all these tricks and like being blindfolded? I mean, did you think that was kind of weird or like, what what was your take on that? Was it just like, what are you doing to well, this child? Well, it was child? what, um, Salieri's father said it's like you're being you know tugged around and just taken from place to place like a you know just a trained animal like it's no way for a human to live let alone a kid like you're supposed to be a child when you're a child and you may have a gift but you shouldn't force someone to have that as their life from the age of three that's crazy it is sad it's because they turn them into you know a traveling show, you know, a, car- yeah, a exactly. carnival in a way. And there's no denying it. No wonder it. he was childish in, in, uh, as an adult. Uh, he didn't get to be a kid. <laughs> yeah, and we'll talk a little more about that too because that's for sure. Um, but we're gonna get a, we get our first introduction to Mozart here. Salieri <laughs> goes to the court. <coughs> He's looking around for Mozart. He's trying to figure out who it is. He goes into a room, tries to steal one of the chocolates. Um, I know, I'm like, don't do that. Like, what if he just like walks in and you're just stuffing your face? Right. So, and anyway, this woman runs in. There's a big squeal, followed by a guy. <laughs> and the scene that plays out here is Salieri first seeing who this this great because he thinks that this person is going to be like this serious um studious person who's just been bestowed with this great talent uh which if that happened i think salieri would be fine unfortunately that's not the case the person he sees is you know in his eyes this vulgar uh you know ludicrous buffoon how is it possible that this man who is you know crawling on the floor on you know uh you know i don't want to say attacking this woman but you know i mean obviously <laughs> this is not the kind of person of virtue 
the Salieri is himself. And uh, so when he sees this person, he was just so different and far different from what he thought he was going to see. Uh, he doesn't like it. Yeah, he's just, he expected someone to have the same discipline that he himself has. But Mozart has no discipline like in his day-to-day life. He's, you know, he figures he has the talent. He can do whatever he wants and run around and be you know, whoever he wants to be without any consequences. Right. So uh, that that girl, of course, her name is Constanze and uh, someone that obviously, um, you know, Mozart is involved with in some way. Uh, so anyway, they're, they're kind of goofing off and Mozart hears his music, realizes somebody is playing his music. He should, that shouldn't be happening, of course, because he should be doing it. Apparently, while everyone is gathering in this room, including the, I think the Pope, right? Uh, was, it the, was it the Pope? Is it the Pope? I'm trying to remember. I, I think it was just a ruler of a different country, the country he was currently in. I think so. I think it was... It may not have been the Pope. The but ruler it, of Vienna. Yeah, it, you might be right. It There was something there. Anyway, somebody <laughs> of influence, right? So... Mm-hmm. Anyway, so he goes to play, he he runs down the hall, he gets in, he plays his music, and, um, but unfortunately, things don't go over too well because he kind of gets berated for what appears to be a systemic problem, right? He's he's probably always late, often late, uh, defies orders, kind of does what he's, what does what he wants, uh, gets rebuked. Uh, Mozart's like, fine, just, you know, let me go. Let me go off and do my own thing. And this guy's like, ah, you know, no, we're going to, you know, force you to do what we want you to do. And uh, Mozart, in an act of defiance, when he goes mm-hmm. outside the doors and closes them, the, the people are cheering for him. So he throws the doors open just so that they he can hear how he's beloved, not – yeah. You know. And now like people want his music and how popular he is like, you know, you're going to tell me what to do? Like I don't think so. <laughs> I mean, what do you mean? But he's the he's the reason people came, right? I mean, they were looking forward to him play. Yeah. Exactly. So yeah. Um it's actually the the prince archbishop. That's who it is. Okay. <laughs> So, um, yeah. So, you know, uh, Emperor Joseph II, who is... Uh, Jeffrey Jones. <laughs> uh, which I love Jeffrey Jones as an actor. Of course, if you watch Ferris Bueller's Day Off, you'll know exactly who that is. So, Unfortunately, he's not a nice person. <laughs> what, the actor or the... The actor. Oh, really? Jeffrey Jones? He is a sex offender. He touched kids. Oh, that's right. I completely forgot about that. Yeah, a little creepy guy now. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, wow. Gee, I don't know how to block that. I know, he was so young here, though. Oh, he oh, he is, yeah. This is yeah, this is very early in his career. Um, so anyway, uh, <laughs> I almost Moving can't on. even think straight now. Um, yeah, so... Anyway, uh, I'm sorry, I can't even. It's just my mind can't comprehend this. Yeah, I, oh, see, I, I knew it, but I had forgot about it. it had, 
you know, years and years ago, I'd, I'd heard that and uh, I just completely forgot. Um, so anyway, so anyway, uh, Mozart kind of, you know, like I said, he threw the doors open. They all hear him, people screaming for him. Guards close the door. And then Salieri has this lovely scene here because he walks up and is he's looking at Mozart's music. Okay. And so I'm going to play this scene here. It's such a beautiful scene. This is where uh, the old Salieri is describing the music that he's he's reading about how you know the, the it starts out with like this this oboe and it kind of holds it before it gets you know handed off to the clarinet and it's just a lovely lovely scene i'm gonna let you listen to it and we'll talk about it on the page it looked nothing the beginning simple almost comic just a pulse bassoons Basset horns, like a rusty squeeze box. <laughs> and then, suddenly, high above it, an oboe. A single note hanging there, unwavering. Until a clarinet took it over. Sweetened it into a phrase of such delight. This was no composition by a performing monkey. This was a music I'd never heard. Filled with such longing, such unfulfillable longing. Seemed to me that I was hearing the voice of God. Okay, so what did you think of this scene? It's such a such a great description of you seeing someone, even in his old age. He's just lo- he just can't help but admire, even in retrospect, the beauty of this piece. Yeah, even if you hate the man who created it, it's. The music itself is, you know, like he says, it's the music like that came from God and music of angels. And it's wonderful how they set this up and they're showing us how music begins, how it's just like one soft tone and builds and builds to something more complex that you wouldn't, somebody wouldn't think probably to do, but Mozart's mind it's not the same as any regular composers because he's a gifted prodigy. The music just, it's in his brain already. He doesn't need to write it down and practice. He can hear everything in his head. So, you know, creating music just comes easy to him. Not always easy, but easier than, you know, it would for Salieri. Right. So, you know, he... Salieri admires, you know, Mozart's music, but he, he dislikes his personality, right? Yes. And and from this encounter, the, you know, in the room when he saw how he behaved, you know, he sees – I think he sees Mozart as like this vulgar, obscene child. 
Um, and he so he questions God as to why he's given this talent to this instrument. I mean, here is Salieri who says, you know, I am, I am pious. I uh, abstain. I don't drink. You know, I just wanted I wanted to create music for you to to adore you. Um, but he also freely admits because he also wants the adoration for himself, and that's where the pride comes in. That's where the jealousy and the pride because. Mozart is, to him, it is obscene that this man-child, you know, would would be given this talent. You know, he isn't going to use it to praise God and do all these wonderful, great things um, in his name. He's going to do it to create wonderful things for himself. So for Salieri, this is like a slap in the face. This is like God saying, I'm going to – like he says in the the movie, why – implant the desire if you're just going to you know not give it to me and give it to this this creature this thing who (laughs) you know is is this obscene vulgar person and you know implant that desire in my head and and let me be jealous what kind of god would do that you know it's essentially his punishment for his bread right and so he you know he's He's angry about it, <laughs> which is really understandable, you know. Just a little pissy. <laughs> right. Um, so anyway, Emperor Joseph II um, wants to get Mozart in court. And so he, he kind of asks some of his, you know, guys, uh, his advisors, his court advisors, uh, what they think about it. And, of course, you know, Salieri, you know, says, oh, you know, yes, I admire Mozart and – you know, so the emperor decides that they're going to bring him in, and they do just that. And Salieri creates a piece for this introduction, right? He mm-hmm. writes it. Now, the emperor, as we find out, is completely tone deaf. He do, <laughs> yeah, he can't he's... read music or read a lick of music. Uh, he doesn't know anything about it. The guy is a complete buffoon. <laughs> yeah, he tries to recreate what he's written, and it's just like every time he hits a key, he just wince because it's just not right. Well, when the emperor says, "Can I play your music?" you're like, "Oh, I'd be honored." Can I play it when Mozart comes in? <laughs> eh, not so much. <laughs> and you can see the the look on Salieri's face when he asks him, which is like, "I can't say no," but boy, do I wish I could say no. Right? He's like, uh, how about I play it <laughs> so I'm not embarrassed? Right, but of course the emperor doesn't think he's embarrassing anybody because everyone just tells him how wonderful he sounds. Exactly. You're not going to tell the emperor that, hey, uh, just between between you and me, but man, you suck. I mean, you are terrible. Uh, that usually would lead to you being impaled. <laughs> yeah. Off with his head. <laughs> <laughs> so Mozart... And- so isn't uh, I think they mentioned that Marie Antoinette is his cousin, be- the emperor's cousin. His cousin or his sister, one of the two. I think it's maybe like maybe that. his cousin. So yeah, so Mozart. Yeah, in the scene they talk about how um, um, Marie picked uh, Mozart up when he was a little child, and I think Mozart said something like, "Will you marry me? Yes or no?" Something like that. So even as a child, he was, you know. <laughs> right, right. So, and even when they're like fooling around in the side, there he asked her to marry him again. 
Oh, oh, you're right. Um, yeah, Constanze. He's, he's talking backwards and making her say it forwards. And oh, yeah, yeah. Says, marry me. Right. Because I think he does it one time. He's like, it comes out like, eat shit or something like that. <laughs> yeah. What? It's like, how romantic. <laughs> marry me, followed by eat shit. <laughs> what a charmer. <laughs> how could I say no? Which apparently, as it turns out... Um, if you think this might be an exaggeration of his personality, it's not. Because there are le- letters written from Mozart to, I want to say his, his cousin or his sister or something like that. And they come out like like that. He even wrote a song about licking your own asshole. <laughs> <laughs> so this is no exaggeration. Yes, on- if you look it up on YouTube, you can watch it. And I don't know what's more uh, disturbing, that um, he wrote a song like that or that uh, it's in the clip, it's being sung by like thirteen-year-olds. <laughs> <laughs> right, <laughs> just makes it even better. <laughs> so, <laughs> anyway, um, <laughs> it's just wow. That song actually exists. <laughs> Mozart made it. <clears throat> oh my god, we're just terrible. <laughs> Neither of us can get through without coughing. <laughs> I'm perfectly fine. You, on the other hand, just like you're dying. (laughs) Yeah, well, I have asthma, so along with getting a chest cold, it's never a good (laughs) It's always a struggle. (laughs) Right. Uh, Yeah, so anyway, Mozart comes in, they do the whole intro, and then um, the emperor plays the song. And then, so they have like this little discussion about music i'm gonna try and kind of speed through this a little more because it's, it's a three-hour movie take forever um so um mozart plays salieri's tune that he specifically wrote for him but ends up upstaging him by saying eh, it doesn't sound right it's like the same thing over and over what if we did this or we did this or we did this or we did this and it's just oh, like salieri's like <laughs> like slapping me in the face it's like, yeah just shoot like you little shit <laughs> right so I'm going to kick your ass. (laughs) (laughs) Right. So, yeah. So what we see here, I think, is we have a contradiction with Mozart. Whereas he has these adult desires, right? But he, he 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 behaves like a child. So, you know, like, obviously he's an adult. So, you know, he's interested in, in, in women, but he's also like a little kid. You know, he's he's someone who uh, appears very buffoonish, but at the same time, he takes his music very seriously. Yeah, like his music takes all the adult he has out of him. <laughs> well, yeah, it's like it takes everything he's got. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> um, so then we have the opening night of Mozart's German opera, The Abduction of the Sarah... Sarah sorry, I'm going to butcher this. Uh, Siraglio, um, <clears throat> and that's this is where Salieri discovers that he has slept with uh, Catherine. Uh, mm-hmm. So before this, his pupil. Yes, yeah, so Salieri has a, pu- a pupil named Catherine. She's an opera singer. It's quite obvious that Salieri is very interested in her. He's he's very attracted to her. But as he says, as an old man, but I never laid a finger on her. Uh, just as an aside, um, in real life, Salieri did indeed 
sleep with Catherine. So there you go. So still not that pure. (laughs) No wonder God punished you. Because in real life, you slept with Catherine. Look what she did. In real life, you're a horny old bastard. Sorry. (laughs) Welcome to the real world. (laughs) So, yeah. Um, And Salieri is not all that happy about it because... At this point, we see that Mozart is quite involved with Costanzi. And when Catherine finds out that they are engaged to be married, the look on her face and Mozart's... So you, do you get the sense that Mozart and Catherine have slept together? Oh, yeah. I mean, I, like, I assume as much, right? It could almost feel like, you know, enough that they had a relationship that she might have thought that she could eventually get engaged to him, like enough. Like her, she was so pissed. She wasn't just like, you know, she got stabbed in the back or anything like that. This is just like full on hatred. <laughs> yeah, I mean, she she's definitely pissed. Of course, um, the um, the king is there, and he, you know, gives his impression. But his impression is that there were too many notes, which. <laughs> Idiot. Which, yeah, I mean that's based on that's based on real fact though, because in, in real life, like I guess he did say that, so that wasn't something they made up. He in fact did say there are too many notes. Again, showing just how tone deaf this guy is, because too many notes. I think Mozart would know what's too many and what's too little. Yeah, just go back to being emperor and let Mozart do his thing. Right. So they drag Costanzi up on the stage, and her mother is just, so she's so like, hum, hum, rr, come on, I want to come up here too and be next to the king. They're like the white trash of uh, this royal world, you know? <laughs> right. They're like the cousins you keep in the closet. Right. And she ends up passing out. And I love how Mozart goes and picks up a bucket of water and just like, dumps it in her face. It's like... <laughs> It's like, go get water. Like, probably meant to drink, not to, like, douse her face with, you know? <laughs> well, it's some, well, we were talking, just uh, and I were talking about um, how fainting used to be a thing, right? So, like, when was the last time you ever heard anybody faint? Well, we don't have corsets. That's what she said. That, that's, she said. That's why people fainted, because they wore exactly. those corsets. It wasn't because they fainted uh, for any, like, oh, fainting's a thing. It's like... Well, yeah, when you've got like all that restriction and everything, at some point you're gonna be able to breathe and you're gonna you're gonna pass out. Yeah, know? it literally like, constricts your lungs that you can't take a full breath, and it's not pleasant. <laughs> yeah, corsets, like when did corsets? Why did they ever do that? That's so stupid. Well, you gotta be skinny, and uh, apparently beauty is pain <laughs> or death. <laughs> well, I guess that's true because it still is. <laughs> you know. Yeah, it's still a thing. Right. Um. So anyway, yeah. So Salieri goes to visit Catherine. She's pissed. Mozart comes in. She's even pissier. Constanze uh, comes in to say, hey, I would like to go home. And she's about as enraged as you can get without throwing pe- things at people's heads. <laughs> um, <coughs> uh, so Salieri wants to send uh, Mozart back to Salzburg. That's what he really wants. He doesn't want Mozart to stay in Vienna. Uh, because if Mozart stays here, it's just not going to be something that's going to be good for Salieri. Uh, it's competition. Competition, right. So, But Mozart decides to stay in Vienna. And Mozart's father isn't happy about that either because Mozart's father wants him to come back to Salzburg as well. 
But he decides instead he's going to marry Constanza, even though his father says don't marry anybody. He does it anyway. <laughs> and um, his decision to stay in Vienna basically means that he is free for business because that terminates his contract with the prince archbishop and allows uh, Mozart to pretty much do what he wants. But he needs to take on pupils or yes. make operas, whatever. So the emperor wants a tutor for Princess Elizabeth and asks, oh, well, his, his idea is to have Mozart, but Salieri is like, oh, you shouldn't show favoritism. So basically everyone has to submit their work. And mm. Mozart is not happy about it. And uh, this leads Salieri to – I mean it's a plan in place that, that he likes because – he can. He's on the council, so therefore he has the uh, ability to uh, influence the decision. Yeah. And uh, yeah, Mozart, of course, is not happy about it. Uh, but this leads Constanze to try to curry favor with uh, Salieri. Mm-hmm. Um, so she brings in some of his work because. Mozart doesn't want to submit his work because he feels he's the best composer in Vienna, hands down. People should just know that. People should just know that. So he doesn't want to. But Constanze, she's more level-headed. She's very childlike in a lot of ways like Mozart is. Um, They have a personality set that seems very similar. But she also is more level-headed when it comes to business and money. So -hmm. she knows, like, like, they need this. So... She tries to get help from Salieri, who uh, just he just wants to see the music, and he is so angry when she hands him the stu- the the his work and finds that Mozart has written all his stuff down without erasing anything. It all comes right out of his head. He writes it down without changing a note. So, yeah, what did you think? Exactly. What did you think of that? I was like, that's amazing. That's amazing. To have the stuff he yeah, does and just never erase, just like, boom, this is what it is. Yeah, it's just, it's something when you have that gift and your prodigy that it's how very few people's minds have, like, their connective patterns are linked that way that they can actually do that. And, I mean, it's fascinating. I couldn't imagine, like, it would take me forever to write down any kind of musical composition and play it over and over and over again there's no way I could ever imagine that it would, you could actually change notes and have it sound out in your head. I mean, that's just mind blowing. Right. So he says, okay, fine. I'll help you out, but uh, you got to come back and you got to earn it. (laughs) It's basically what, uh, what he's saying. So even though Constanze has just been married, right? They're a very young couple. Um, Salieri is, he wants to, He wants to poison the relationship that they have. He wants to um, dirty up the waters, the uh, of the marriage waters between uh, Mozart and Constanze. So, and also, I'm <clears throat> certain he feels it's like you know you slept with a woman I'm in love with. Now I'm going to show you that same kind of pain. Uh, but I don't think. I think that's what he wants to do, but I don't think he would have ever gone through with it. I don't think he had any intention to. No, uh, but but you thought 
this is such a hard scene to watch in a way because she obviously would, oh, she'd rather not do it. Um, this is a, a kind of an act of desperation. Um, the director's cut, the original version of this earned a PG rating. It was two hours and like 36 minutes or something long. And uh, this one is three hours. So the mm-hmm. one this is one of the scenes that they added in that they didn't add in before because if you watch the original cut, okay, this scene where she undresses and so you you like you see her breasts and everything, that wasn't in the original cut. So at the end of the movie, whenever she's kind of like very mean to Salieri when on when Mozart passes away, um, you're like, Wow, why does she so like treat him so badly? You know, why is she saying this is why <laughs> this is why. So in the director's cut, you're, you're seeing you're seeing why. But you feel so bad for her here because she doesn't do anything wrong. I mean, OK, yes, in the sense that she came here with the idea that she was going to follow through on sleeping with Salieri if it meant the end game was that Mozart would get, you know, to tutor Princess Elizabeth. Um so on that end, of course, but it's more wrong that Salieri is doing this because not only did he convince her to come back and try to sleep with him, but that once she unrobed, he rung the bell and exited out, essentially embarrassing her. Mm-hmm. Letting some stranger see her, you know, her nakedness. Nakedness, yes. And you know that, of course, it's... You know, the maids and servants that have that talk the most and that's probably going to get out. So, of course, she's going to tell Mozart what happened. So before he hears about it, because I'm sure it'll spread. Yeah. And this is the point where Celieri throws the cross with, you know, Jesus on it, throws it into the fire. He has now he has now decided that what God has done to him. Uh, is unforgivable. That he is not going to do everything in his power to bring down his instrument, the instrument that he has chosen to bestow this wonderful gift on, of course, being Mozart. And so he first begins to spread the lie that Mozart is uh, someone who will molest uh, tutors, or not tutors, uh, students. Yes. And. Just younger girls, and what a nice thing to do. Right. Like, how much of a dick do you have to be? Yep. But, yes. So, uh, so Mozart comes to Salieri because, of course, with no ability to take on students, he is unable to make money. Well, it's not necessarily true. As you'll see in this scene here, um, Mozart does sell out all the time. He puts on these shows. The problem is Mozart is not good with money. He just spends it how he wants with no thought about, you know, having money to fall back on, on hard times. And so that's why they're constantly running out of money because even though his shows make a ton, he spends it as quickly as he gets it. Yeah, he spends it faster than he can make it. Right. So uh, here's the scene. It's a scene between Salieri and uh, Mozart when Mozart is asking Salieri for a loan. So listen to this and we will... Talk about it. Whom did they choose? Herr Sommer. Herr Sommer? But the man's a fool. He's a total mediocrity. No, 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 no. He has yet to achieve mediocrity. (laughs) 
I can't lose this post. I simply can't. Excellency, please, let's go to the palace. And you can talk to the emperor and tell him that Herr Zummer is an awful choice. He could actually do musical harm to the Princess Elizabeth. Between you and me, no one in the world could do musical harm to the Princess Elizabeth. <laughs> Look, I must have pupils. Without pupils, I can't manage. You don't mean to tell me that, that, that you're living in poverty? No, but I'm broke. Well, how is this possible? You give concerts, don't you? I, I hear they're quite successful. They're stupendously successful. You can't get a seat. The only trouble is no one will hire me. They all want to hear me play, but they won't let me teach their daughters as if I was some kind of a fiend. <laughs> Seriously, is there any chance you could manage alone? Only for six months, eight at the most. You expect your fortunes to change in six or eight months? As a matter of fact, I do. I, I am working on something that is going to explode like a bombshell all over Europe. After that, I'll be the richest man in Vienna. I'll pay you back double anything. You name the terms. Well, how exciting. Tell me more. Oh, I better not. It's a bit of a secret. Come, come, Mozart. I am interested. This is delicious. What is it? It's cream cheese, mixed with granulated sugar, suffused with rum. Crema al mascarpone, speciale. Italian. <laughs> Forgive me, we, we all have patriotic feelings of some kind. Two, two hundred florins, that's all I need. A hundred. Fifty. What exactly are you working on? I really, I, I, I can't say. I don't think you should become known in Vienna as a debtor, Mozart. Okay, so what'd you think of this scene? <coughs> God, I can't have a cough tonight. Um, but yeah, it's a really great scene, and you kind of get the feeling that Salieri is almost willing to bend, but he's still, like, willing to isn't giving him the loan but he's trying to use reason you know that he can relate to with mozart like you should try um oh, i forget what the guy's name is but he's punishing him by sending him to this other you know royal who has a billion dogs and this daughter and he's not giving him the loan because he doesn't want him to be you know named a debtor yet he's going around behind his back calling him a debtor and he's sneaky like Salieri like on the surface he's such a nice guy and you think he's a good guy and he is to a degree but he's capable of being a really bad guy too he is sure neither character neither Salieri or Mozart are uh, perfect angels in, in any way <laughs> um, both of them have their flaws some uh, both of them will intentionally um, antagonize people um, as you see, others are 
and you know insults th- with uh, without doing it on purpose like whenever Salieri looks through Mozart's music and sees how perfect first drafts right i mean that's not Mozart's fault that's just that's just something that it's like a slight that it's unintentional um it's yeah. not anything that's Mozart's fault but it just it's something that is a slight to Salieri but in this scene, uh, it, you're seeing Mozart for the first time. I don't want to say crawling to someone else, but of all the people he knows, he must feel like he has some connection with Salieri, which is kind of tragic because it's you, all throughout this movie. It's there's rare, rarely a time, very few moments where you you see Mozart look upon Salieri in a bad way. Um. For the yeah. most part, there's a couple of scenes where he kind of pokes gentle fun at Salieri, but it's not for the most part. It's, there's nothing malicious about it. Um, he's kind of a it's childish. yes, it's childish. He's but it, overall, he's pretty oblivious. Um, it's not a cut to hurt. It's just a cut to be funny um, in, in general, but not without the malice attached to it. Uh, so you, exactly. you're seeing Mozart crawl to Salieri here, asking for money, and. Salary's like, well, I'll just send you this guy. All these dogs, it just it doesn't end up. It doesn't end well. It's very, yeah. You could see for Mozart, this is an insult. Not that Salieri has insulted him, but that he's here in this family full of dogs. And this is obviously, in, in if you think Sally or if you think Mozart is kind of crude and vulgar, to me, this to this to Mozart is vulgar and crude. What he's witnessing. Yeah, it's disrespectful. Disrespectful to his craft, disrespectful to the process. I mean, yeah, see, the way Salieri views Mozart is the way Mozart views this family and this situation that he's <laughs> given you know, the opportunity for. Yeah, because when it comes to Mozart, it, his music he takes very seriously, has great respect for music itself. And so having a family that... Yeah, you have you pay more attention to the dogs than you would the music. I mean, that's just so disrespectful to him. It's just so rude, and it's pretty much how just Salieri sees Mozart on a day to day basis. Right, exactly. Precise. It's precisely right. Uh, so Leopold comes to visit Mozart and finds it messy. He's they don't have a maid because they can't afford to hire anybody. He tries to. Uh, he tries to pass off the messiness as the fact that Constanze just uh, can't keep up or whatever. And, and then he tries to, well, Leopold says, oh, I hear you have money troubles. And Mozart tries to make it as if sound as if he's fine. There's nothing wrong. But Leopold knows. Rumors are going around. Uh, people, people know. Yeah. Especially, like, they talk. And that's, you know... The major thing is people oh my god people will spread rumors like it's no tomorrow especially back then when you have nothing else to do like it was just a very common thing gossip was very high yeah, gossip was the internet <laughs> exactly like that's what we had back then right. um so in order to try to convince his father that they have no money troubles he takes them out shopping they buy a new stuff and uh, they go to this this party where there's very ch- just very childish games. Everyone's getting drunk, uh, and there's this game where they they play where the penalty is you've got to do something, and so ultimately 
Salieri also comes to this party, and when nobody can convince Mozart which composer that he has to play like, uh, Salieri says his own name, and initially Mozart is like, "Yes, that that's a challenge. That is tough." So then he sits. And so it actually feels like, oh, like he thinks it's a challenge. Like that's a compliment. But then Mozart sits down and he gets this very grim, arched shoulder, bent over, kind of like this exaggerated version of what like an ape yes and he starts playing and then he stands up opens up his trousers and blows basically blows gas um so so nice so salieri of course is going to view this as a giant slap in the face again even though even though it's even though it's just a childish stupid joke kind of thing more or less uh he sees it as an insult Oh, I love the costumes of everybody, especially his father's. He's just like the black sheep in the room, but it's terrifying. He's like the grim reaper of the room. Right. <laughs> he is. He's very terrifying. Um, he really <clears throat> is. Like, he's not that... <clears throat> his character isn't that scary, but the way he holds himself is just so high above everybody else and just like judge. Judgeful and watchful. Like, yeah. You know? He passes judgment very easily. Yeah. So, uh, so Salieri ends up hiring a maidservant named Laurel, <clears throat> sends him to Mozart's household, where, despite the protestations of his father, uh, Consanze and Mozart hire her because, you know, someone's just saying, hey, we're going to send you someone to help you clean up the place. Uh, you don't have to pay anything and they can't pay anything because they have no money really. So for them, it's like a godsend. Yeah. So of course she's going to accept. And I couldn't believe it's, uh, she's so young, but it's Cynthia Nixon. It um, is. From Hannibal and Sex and the City. It is. She's, I was like, she was only 17 at the time. Really? Wow. Yep. I'm like, she's so baby faced back then. She's so young. I know, right? Tell you what, what a great thing to be your first project to be a part of, you know? Right? Something that wins eight Oscars? Hell yeah. <laughs> right. It's like, wow, gee, I wish every project I could be in could be one of these. Um, so anyway, you know, she, of course, is a spy. She's there to spy on the household and report back to Salieri, which she does. Uh, so she kind of makes it apparent what's going on there. She kind of gives the state of day-to-day business. Um and finances and, yeah. how he's still afloat and so he comes by one day she lets him in and that's when they learn that basically they're selling the the, the last priceless priceless items that they have in order to make ends meet and uh the Mozart is creating a, an italian opera titled the marriage of figueroa <clears throat> yeah which is something that was a play that was banned i guess because it was a comedy that was too crude well it it, it created political tension in the commoners um which is why it was banned because it was the kind of thing that would rile up the politics with the commoners and for different different classes really and so it was banned to keep that to a minimum but mozart um convinces the emperor (laughs) uh, to let him at least try you know they Everyone does that, including Salary, does do everything they can in order to get this to be, you know, this awful thing where 
Mozart has gone all this trouble to create this opera and spent a lot of time on it, only to not be able to produce it. But he, conv- he convinces the emperor to at least let him try, and so he does. And um, yeah. it's, well, uh, Kapellmeister Bono and uh, Count Orsini Rosenberg, who are people that advise uh, the emperor, um, again, are doing everything they can along with Salieri. They've kind of all teamed up together to kind of do everything they can to make this production bad. And that also includes no ballet. Yeah. And everyone just, there's no music. Everyone's just like hopping around. Yeah. And it's just like the most awkward so thing. So the emperor's sitting there, like there's no music playing, but there's people doing like ballet. And so he's like, why is this going on? And they're like, oh, well, you you made it a royal decree. And she's like, well, I'll play the music. So he does and everything's fine. So, <laughs> you know, it was never an issue. So it kind of blows up in, in everybody's face. Yeah, and, but it's just like it's such the politics and the hardships that both are being put through to put this out. I mean, it's just degrading to him. Yeah. So the opera finally opens. It's uh, fantastic. And even Salieri, you know, has to acknowledge that it's that good. However, he's not defeated because the emperor yawns once, which is not good. And that means that the, the play does not have long-term success. Can you see the play is like four hours long? Yeah. What's a- Edit Mozart, seriously, especially when you're dealing with an emperor who's tone deaf. <laughs> right, because he needs things a little, a little easier for him. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Too many notes. Oh, this, yeah. Sorry, sorry. I mentioned that earlier. That was that wasn't then. It was actually now. Too many notes, and uh, <clears throat> yeah. So unfortunately, Mozart takes offense to this. Um, and so there's a uh, well. Mozart takes offense to that, uh, but in response to the opera, uh, Salieri also admits his feelings. He admits that he loved it, and he's kind of filled with this almost reverence, you know, for this, like for a fleeting instant, uh, for what Mozart has done for the accomplishment that he has created. You know, this, this is what I talked about earlier, where these things are warring inside of Salieri. He hates Mozart, but he can't help but admire him at the same time. And so this is one of those moments. He wants him to fail, but he also admires the music so much that he still wants to hear it and wants to see it every time it plays. Right. So Celery swallows his pride and asks Mozart to look over the musical sheets for an opera that he's working on. Uh, Celery's opera, Oxer, King of Ormus, uh, performs at the National Theater and receives praise from the emperor and the audience, the type of response that Mozart expected for his opera, uh, yes. The Marriage of Figaro, Figaro, but did not receive. The emperor even calls Salieri's opera the best one yet written. Mozart... And gives him a pendant of some sort. Right? Yeah, something he could like, put on his chest. Yeah. Um, Mozart, who is present at the opening night of Salieri's opera, is displeased with the emperor's positive response to Salieri's opera. Acting on this negative feeling, Mozart approaches Salieri and gives Salieri an unhated compliment, and then goes home with a group of friends. 
at home, he sees Constanze and two men seated at a table. And uh, that's when we realize that uh, his father has passed away. Yeah, and this is very hard for Mozart because <coughs> while his father wasn't, he wasn't uh, a warming figure in his life, he still was his father and he you know, pushed him to have the gift of music. So it's, a, <coughs> it's like Salieri with Mozart. It's, there's this love and hate. Same thing with Mozart and his father. There's a love and there's a hate. Precise, precisely. Um, it's a love-hate relationship, <laughs> you know. More so on uh, Salieri's side, a little bit on Mozart's side. You know, they're, comp- they're competitors. They're both um, composers. And so, of course, there's always going to be a, you know, competition between composers. Even, even I think the best of friends are going to compete with one another because that's what you do when you're, you know, talented. It's healthy. Yeah. Not to this degree, but no, this is, to a normal friend's degree. This is different. This is on a different level. <laughs> Just a little bit. Uh, Moser has another opera called Don Giovanni, <clears throat> which is uh, which is influenced by his father's uh, death. Very dark. Oh, it is. I mean, because the, the same costume that his father wore, or something very similar, is what is in this play. Yeah, so yeah. the only person that recognizes this is Salieri, right? He's the yes, only one. He's the one who knows. Right. Uh, what did you think of, of him doing this? This was like getting out all of this pain and darkness. I personally, I liked this one a lot. Like this is probably one of my favorite pieces I saw of his. It, it's dark, but it's so powerful. The music is so haunting and just moves through you like I, I don't know how to explain it but it's it's very dark and contains you in it you know oh it's such a beautiful thing it really is yeah. it's so dark and <laughs> you can see that he's working through the pain of his father's passing by doing this you know like, especially when the camera's on him and he's just you know the music <laughs> it's something so different to him than it is to everybody else like it's so powerful and he wants it to be, you know, this this grand thing for his father and getting how he feels out and no one else knows except for him and Salieri in that room. Right. And so Salieri goes out and purchases a costume just like the one his father wore <laughs> at the play, shows up to Mozart's place and asks him to write a Requiem Mass. Yes. Like, what a mean thing to do. Like that, of course, is gonna you know consume him, and he knows it. Precisely. So, uh, we're seeing at this point the the at this point, and we got a little hint of it, hints of it earlier in the movie, like when his father first arrives, he says, "You're looking a little thin." But as the movie progresses, we begin to see that. There's physical and mental like issues are starting to affect Mozart on a daily basis. Uh, he's looking mm-hmm. more and more haggard, uh, more put upon. Uh, he's, he's he seems like he's getting thinner. <clears throat> drinking every day. Drinking every day. His hair is getting kind of wilder. 
obviously his father's death is a big part of that, but it's also something that's been going on for some time anyway. So did you kind of think that as you were looking watching the movie, like, like there was a long-term kind of fall physically with him? Oh yeah. Like it's, it seems like when he has mental strain, it's reflected in physicality for him. Like everything he feels mentally, it's a reflection of his body. You know? Yeah. Yeah, I think it. Like there's not just one or the other. Yeah, I think you're correct. He he can see he gets disheveled. Uh, he's not sleeping. <clears throat> he appears to to almost be like an insomniac you know mm-hmm. yeah he, he's taking medicine and stuff but it it almost probably it probably keeps him up i would think you know it's probably doing more worse than or more harm than good right um so we also we give kind of jump back to the old Celieri, who you know, talks about his uh, plans on you know killing Mozart. He wants to bring Mozart down, ultimately. Yeah. I mean, and and Sally, he like the father gives Salieri this like look of horror. Like I can't believe you would actually admit that. Um, but he wants to take this piece that Mozart is writing and wants to pass it off as his own. You know, Salieri, yeah. Salieri does. Um, so he continues to talk about you know his past. Uh, and we see Mozart beginning to to kind of f- fall further like into this hole uh, of physical and mental pain and financial. Uh, there's nothing there. They have no money, and it's just it's getting yeah. worse and worse. So, so Mozart <laughs> takes his wife and son to see a show which kind of parodies his Don Giovanni play. Um, Emmanuel uh, Schnickender. Who's an actor played by Simon Callow, who's a great actor. Love him. Um, <coughs> they put on this play. It's it's kind of funny. Um, the kid likes it, and obviously Mozart enjoys it. Constanze not so much. She kind of thinks like they took his great work and and just really destroyed it. Yeah, and like I think Mozart's content with it because you know. It's taking weight off of him that's been building up so much pressure. And, you know, if he can just, you know, write for these common folks, there's no pressure. He can do whatever he wants and no one's going to judge him. No one's going to hate him for it. And they're essentially just his friends that, you know, he's comfortable around. Right. And like most of this is like the scene where they first bring out Don Giovanni and Constanzi doesn't look happy, and even Mozart for a second doesn't look particularly pleased, but then he looks at the people, and the people are clapping, and they're laughing, and he's seeing that even though it's not something he probably appreciates, he he sees that the audience loves it, and so that allows him to kind of be like, shrug his shoulders, be like, whatever, I mean, they like it, so I guess that's what matters. Yeah. So, so he... Uh, uh, Emmanuel wants him to write a play, wants him to write something that he, he says, oh, we'll make a bunch of money. Constanze on the other hand is like, hey, great, but uh, how much are we making off this? You know, like she's like, again, she's the one thinking about money. And he even remarks like, oh, you brought your manager with you tonight. Well, that's smart, isn't it? 
Yeah, she should because Mozart has no financial brain whatsoever. Precisely. So, unfortunately, uh, Mozart is desperate for money, so he goes back to the guy with the dogs, and he he looks terrible. I mean, he he looks like he hasn't bathed. He looks like he's he he is drunk. And he asks for a job. It turns out the daughter that they, well, the daughter that he was supposed to train uh, has long since gone off, got married, da-da-da, has moved away. So this guy has no need for him. Uh, he asks for a loan. Uh, the guy says no. And we're kind of starting to see Mozart really getting, getting close to rock bottom. Yeah. Because they really, they're, they're, they're getting more and more desperate more dire i was a little surprised though that that leopold's death didn't give maybe mozart money you would think yeah inheritance but maybe they did and he blew through it already yeah quite possible right so uh emmanuel comes by because he's like hey you said you'd do this thing for me and uh at this point mozart is staying up all the time he's just constantly working he needs to do this requiem mass. The guy keeps, you know, uh, well, Salieri dressed in the mask keeps coming by. He keeps asking for more time to do it. And Emmanuel shows up and uh, he, ha- he has nothing for him. But Mozart has, says, I have it all in my head. Emmanuel's not happy about it. He's like, look, you said in two weeks to be ready to, like, hire people. We're now here. You need to, like, write this down so we can actually do this. Yeah. Like, I can't just work from your brain because it's not very coherent at the moment. Right. Salieri forces uh, Laurel to, to keep on doing this, the spy work uh, for him. And um, she's... Despite the fact that she's getting more and more scared of him. Yeah, she um, she doesn't want to go back. She She's scared. She's frightened. Things are just... They're terrible there. You know, Mozart's staying up all night. He's constantly drinking. Um... It's just not a pleasant place to, to work or to live, obviously. Yeah. It's, you, you never know what someone in that capacity is going to do. If they snap, who are they going to snap at? <laughs> right. So, um, Constanze stays up with him, um, <clears throat> but Mozart, you know, she falls asleep and he continues to stay up. Uh, there's a portrait of Leopold hanging up, and he keeps looking at it because he's thinking about his father. Um, he leaves uh, his place, and he joins uh, the people like Emmanuel, a bunch of his friends and everything. Um, and so he's gone all night. So he's out drinking and doing stuff. He's getting away. When he comes back, Constante is gone. She doesn't. She can't be around this anymore. She can't have their kid be around this. The constant drinking, staying up late, all that stuff, and um, she has decided to leave Mozart. Yeah, and go hang out with her mother for a bit. And I think the worst part for Mozart was that she took the kid, and that was that was rock bottom for right. him. He finally realized it. He goes to visit Frau Weber, which is of course Constanze's mother. And she says, oh, you know, and she, I told her never to marry you, da-da-da. I'm like, thinking like, yeah, right, please. I'm sure... You pushed her I'm to I'm sure the him. moment that, uh, you know, Constante had a chance to marry Mozart, you were probably like all over that. So please, don't don't give me that. <clears throat> yeah. Don't feed me that bullshit. <laughs> right. 
So as she's screaming, her scream turns into music. And <laughs> the next opera is called The Magic Flute, which he, has, he writes. Salieri attends the opening of the opera. He admires uh, the opera. Uh, but unfortunately, Mozart passes out. Um, <clears throat> and so they, they drag him out of the way. The opera gets finished with like a like a I guess an assistant director. He kind of fills in for Mozart, and uh, Salieri helps get Mozart loaded loaded up into a carriage, and they go back to Mozart's place. The guys drive, take him in, put him into bed. Salieri ends up staying there, and the now do you go ahead? Do you think that he? Salieri was trying to help Mozart, or do you think he was trying to push him to his deathbed? I think he was trying to get what he wanted, but not trying at that point to kill Mozart. I did. It was just circumstance <clears throat> that he happened to die. I think so, um, because they get back there and there's a knock on the door. Salieri goes out and. Because he thinks it's the guy in the in his father's uh, mask, but so of course it's Emmanuel who stopped by to see if Mozart's all right and to give him his winnings. So when Salieri goes in with the bag of gold, because uh, Mozart had said, "Well, you know, if the guy shows up, ask him for an advance because that would help me finish quicker." Uh, Salieri says, "Well, the guy said, you know, here's money, and if you finish it by tomorrow night, I'll give you an extra one hundred uh, whatever it is, gold coins, whatever the currency is there. And uh, Mozart doesn't think it's possible, but Salieri says, well, if I dictate for you or, or take diction, uh, I can write the thing and you can tell me what to write. It'll be quicker. So that's what they do. They basically stay up for hours and hours as Mozart relays this. And it's such a wonderful scene. I don't have the clip for it, but it's such a beautiful scene. You're seeing creativity in this scene. You're seeing Mozart in his head. You can just see him thinking. He's like, he's hearing the music and he's relaying to to Salieri how it's supposed to be written down. Salieri's writing it. And there's wonderful subtle moments where Salieri's like, I understand. And there's times where he's like, I can't comprehend what you're saying. It's just that it's too much. I can't, I can't do it. Yeah, and it's like the <clears throat> it's a lovely glimpse into how both of their minds work. I mean, you get to see the way Mozart works. I mean, he hears the music and then puts it to paper, where Salieri he has to write it down before he can understand it. Precisely. Um. So Constanze is at a party. She doesn't want to be there. She wants to be back with Mozart, so she leaves. And <clears throat> she does love him. Genuinely. She does. So uh, at one point, Mozart's too exhausted. And so they decide to take a break. Constanze gets there in the morning and Salieri has fallen asleep on a couch of some kind of chair. <laughs> on the child's, on child's bed. bed. Okay. And so she wakes him up. <laughs> she cute. finds out that it's Salieri. She's not pleased, of course. Uh, of course she does. wants him to leave. Uh, Mozart, of course, is, is, wakes up. He's very sick. Uh, Constanze says, you know, if you just change, I'll try to change too. I'll, we'll both be better. 
Um, and she talks to Salieri. She takes the. She finds out that they both have been writing music all night. Not happy about it. She thinks this is going to kill him, which it does. And so she puts it all <laughs> and locks it away. And whenever she looks back over, Mozart has unfortunately passed away. <clears throat> yeah. It's terrible. I mean, do you think he just passed away from exhaustion or do you think it was from illness? They, they say that it's pro- – they think it's alcohol poisoning. I don't doubt it, because actually. Because as much as he was drinking in general, it's just it just too much for him. And there might have been some other health factors involved with that, but ultimately – and I think a combination of that and probably exhaustion. I think it all put and whatever <clears throat> drugs he was. Yeah, taking. I think his body was just too weak. It's just pushing it too much. So yeah. he there's a of course he's penniless. So there's no uh, <clears throat> there's no uh, gravestone for him. So his body gets dumped in among other bodies in a mass grave. Yeah, there's not even a coffin nope. for him. I thought that was horrifying. Nope. So. Salieri's there, a few other people, um, friends, but not many people are there for his death. And um, we finally shift back to the old Salieri, who uh, this is just the end scene where he talks about, um, you know, being the king of mediocrity, being there. Pa- the, the patron, patron saint. saint of so yeah, I'm going to play this. I'm going to play this clip here. Literally, this is the end of the movie. So play this mm-hmm. clip, and we'll talk about it. And of course, we're going to talk about uh, the movie and wrap up our final thoughts and give our grades. So here's the clip. <laughs> You're merciful, God. He destroyed his own beloved rather than let a mediocrity share in the smallest part of his glory. He killed Mozart and kept me alive to torture. 32 years of torture, 32 years of slowly watching myself become extinct. My music growing fainter all the time, fainter, till no one plays it at all. And his. Good morning, Professor. Time for the water closet. And then we have your favorite breakfast for you. Sugar rolls. You love those fresh sugar rolls. I will speak for you, Father. I speak for all mediocrities in the world. I am their champion. I am their patron saint. <laughs> Mediocrities everywhere. I absolve you. I absolve you. I absolve you. I absolve you. I absolve you all.
Okay, so what did you think at the end of this? It... I was I didn't expect it to end where it did. I expected like I just thought the story was continuing. I'm like, oh, three hours in, it must keep going because <laughs> I don't think it's ever going to stop. But it didn't feel like an ending. It just I don't know. It just felt like he was just going to go on continuing to do what he did every day. There was no conclusion. Like it just. Mozart was dumped into an open grave and and then you, know, you just go back to him being old and he's just living and blaming God for, you know, torturing him, letting him live for 32 years with, you know, this not only this guilt, but also to hear his music become less and less familiar until he's becoming nothing. Hmm. Yeah. <sighs> it's it is sad. It, it's sad on so many levels because it's sad that Salieri has seen his music disappear from Mozart's music to elevate and become more and more common. Um, and of course the, the knowledge that he may have contributed somehow to his death. Um, and there's in just the general, um, just the guilt of, of what he had done to, to, to Mozart yeah. just as in a professional level on personal level. Um, but he he doesn't blame himself. It's a narcissist. It's a very narcissistic behavior. He blames he blames God. He blames God for yeah. for doing this to Mozart. He blames God for not giving him the talent uh, that he that Mozart had. Um, it's not his fault. It's always someone else's fault. And it's always in this case, it's, it's simply God's fault for for allowing everything to happen. You know, if you were a truly powerful God, you would not let that happen. If you were a truly just God, you would have given me the talent uh, to create great music and to honor you. And so I think that's what we see here. We see Salieri ultimately as a very narcissistic personality. He tries to claim that he is a humble man and that he, you know, but, it's virtuous. but ultimately what he wants is praise and to be the person who people all look up to and say, you are what epitomizes a great, to be a great composer. But that's something he'll never get. No. So. Instead, he gets to <clears throat> hang out with the loonies right. at the loony pit. Yes, he does. For the rest of his days. Yep. So. <coughs> Excuse me. So let's talk. <clears throat> A little bit about our general review. So I just did a recap there. We kind of sprinkled in with some of our thoughts. But here are some of my thoughts on this movie. Um, Mozart is basically a walking contradiction to his music. I talked a little bit about that before. Um, to me, it's amazing how beautiful his work was and yet how vulgar and childlike he was. He's a, he's a man-child. He is someone in that laugh is just so annoying. <laughs> it is like nails on a chalkboard kind of painful. To but I to. love it. I love it for that. I, I, I just, it fits so, it fits so well with his personality. Yeah, truly. Um, the, while his music is genius, the rest of his life, everything that, that is, you know, makes up Mozart is kind of crystallized in this form of adolescent existence. You know, as we were talking before about how he's like this this dancing monkey, you know, you get the feeling like 
a lot of people that are child te- prodigies, regardless of whatever you do, uh, they tend to not have a childhood. Um, they become children as adults because they never had a chance to develop naturally. Um, you know, if you're if you're like a tennis prodigy and all you do is sit and play tennis all day, you're not probably going to have very good social skills because you never interact with anybody. Yeah, like Michael Jackson. Yeah. It's a good example. So, yeah, um, Amadeus, if you want to know why the, the movie is named Amadeus and not like Mozart or whatever, it's because Amadeus actually means beloved of God. So, again, a biggest <laughs> big slap in the face again to Salieri. Um, <laughs> it's the best movie that I have ever seen that depicts creativity, the creative process, and genius. So I think it's really fantastic stuff with that, with the creativity and seeing someone in the midst of creating something. Yeah, and it the way they've done this movie, and it's, it doesn't take us for granted, the viewer for granted. They you know, acknowledge that we can understand and follow, but they don't just shove it in our face, you know? They actually do take it, their time. And, you know, show us the process. And it actually works. It's never boring. It's never, you know, slowing the story down. It has a purpose. Yes, it does. It's a beautiful movie. It was shot on film. Um, Everything was shot in natural light as well. Uh, The city uh, that they shot it in, um, they did not have a lot of, like, like running water, phones, power. Uh, I guess I guess they had well they might have had, might have had running water but they didn't have like uh, a lot of other things that we generally have because it was it was filmed in like Czechoslovakia um, Prague I think actually at the time so <clears throat> um, so everything had to be shot with natural light and I think the movie looks fantastic <clears throat> there weren't that many sets built there were only Four different sets were built for four specific locations in the movie. Everything else is filmed literally on location. Yeah, it's amazing that they use natural light. I mean, and a lot of it, too, was filmed in candlelight, and I think that was great. I mean, it created such an ambiance, you know? Yes, it does. It's it's a well-directed movie. I think it is just... I think Milos Forman did a fantastic job. I think he definitely deserved to win Best Director at the Oscars that year because yeah. this is a monumental achievement, in my opinion, in directing. Um, <clears throat> there's also... Uh, there's some trivia here that I want to kind of throw out before... And I'll, then I'll let you jump in and kind of give me your thoughts. So some things here to kind of note... Um, Several professors of music uh, have studied all of the, the keystrokes in the movie and the, the music that accompanies them all lines up perfectly. So it's not like you're watching somebody play piano and like a lot of other movies where they, they would play piano, but they're not hitting the right keys and just, it was, you know, they're acting like they're playing, but they're not. Uh, in this case, it looks great. Everything lines up absolutely perfectly. Second thing. Uh, Tom Hulse played piano six hours a day for six months in order to be able to play all of uh, Mozart's music. That's dedication. And uh, F. Murray Abraham, who plays Salieri, 
studied to be able to actually compose and uh, um, direct music. So he could stand up there wow. and he could he could be he could stand up in front of a uh, a band and he could then do it. He could actually, you know, direct the music. Understands the movements and what needs to be done at what times and whatnot. Yeah. So I mean, to read and con- I'm sorry, read and conduct music is not particularly easy. So no. uh, the fact that both he was able to do that and Thomas able to to learn all that is just dedication. Abraham is also from um, Pittsburgh. Yes, yes. So that is fantastic because I'm only a few hours away from Pittsburgh. So, <laughs> More Pennsylvanians. Exactly. It's, say that with pride, <laughs> thanks. <laughs> uh, Pennsylvanians. Um, the, the way the accents work in this movie is a little weird. So as you can tell, the main cast all have American accents. The way that mm-hmm. they they decided to do this movie is if they had an um, an American accent, you it was a stand-in for German, and that the other people like had the Italians would that was like the Italian or the Italian stuff was all uh, supposed to be like for for Italians of course and there's something else here I'm just trying to see what it was what I wrote down here. Um, Yeah, it's like yeah, I, I, I thought I had everything written down, but anyway, the yeah, so American accents were all German, so that's why nobody spoke in German because Milish wanted people to not get confused and lose uh, track of the story and what was going on. So that was the way to do that. that. That's why there's American accents and not like German accents or just speak people speaking in German. I think it's forgivable for the story that it has. <laughs> Right. Um, yeah, there's. It's just. I don't know. What What are your thoughts on this movie? Give me. Give me your like your your the sum up of what you think. I think everything in this movie is fantastic. I mean, the storytelling to musical integration to showing us the variety of characters and the two lives, especially Salary. Celery and Mozart, how different they were. They were just like opposites. Where Celery had talent, but he had this, you know, way about himself that he expected, you know, morals to live by for, you know, someone who dedicated his life to music. And then you have this another person who's far more talented. He doesn't have to really work at it, it comes from, it comes from inside his mind. But he doesn't hold the same standards that Cillieri has in regards to himself. It's such a great contradiction of each other. And it's fantastic storytelling. It deserved every Oscar it got. Because, I mean, every time, every scene, the costuming, the makeup, the, like, in the opera. Oh, my God. It's so fantastic. There's no bad element to this movie, you know? Uh yeah, definitely. Um I read there's a couple other things here. So Elizabeth Barrage, she played Constanzi. Uh there was a scene it was the scene where she went to visit Salieri to get him to, you know, curry favor with him. And that's when he pulled out that bowl of the nipples of Venice. This 
So yeah, she, yeah, so she yeah. <clears throat> being young because she was only like nineteen or twenty at the time, uh, and kind of n- relatively new, I think, to to making movies. <clears throat> so she had to like eat, eat them for the scene, you know. And mm-hmm. what she didn't realize is that you could put it in your mouth. They could you could do the scene, chew it up, whatever, and then, you know, cut. And then she could spit it out. Well, she didn't know you could do that. So she ended up eating, like, over 20 of those things. <laughs> and they had, they had marzipan, marzipan. And the problem with that is that Ooh. it's not very good. And so she got sick, like, after so many. Like, she <laughs> went to, like, the bathroom and she got sick because she ate too many. Oh, that's so upsetting. <laughs> Poor thing. Yeah. Yeah, marzipan is a unique substance. Yes, it is. Um, <laughs> so F. Murray Abraham <clears throat> wasn't originally supposed to be Salieri. So how this happened was he went in to film or to read for a small the small character of, uh, of Rosenberg in the movie. So he went in, he'd read it, and he he was sticking around, sticking around, and so Milos needed somebody to read opposite of an actor he brought in who was auditioning for Mozart. So he says to F. Murray, he's like, well, you know, can you just, you know, read the lines and everything? Just, just, you know. So he's like, oh, yeah, sure, fine, whatever. So he reads the lines. And then he keeps doing this over and over again with different actors. And so they decide to, well, uh, uh, Milos decides that he wants to do a scene with where he reads as the older Salieri. So he just does it. He's like, yeah, read it. He's like, yeah, do it, do it, do it. And uh, F. Marie Abraham did it and did such a great job that in that moment, Milos realized, I just found my Salieri. <laughs> so. Like, yeah, you just got bumped up to the main character. Huh? Yep. So uh, that's pretty, pretty awesome. I mean, that just sh- goes to show, just keep plugging at it. And if you have a chance to just even just to read lines, do a great performance because you never know. Yeah, sometimes it's just meant to be. Precisely. So Meg Tilly was actually, the actress Meg Tilly was supposed to be Costanze. She she was cast. And then the day before (coughs) filming was supposed to start, she was playing soccer out in the streets with a couple of children, and she ended up tearing her ligaments in her leg. That's not good. So they found out she was going to be out for at least five weeks. So they didn't have the time to wait. So that's why um, Elizabeth Barrage was cast as Constanze. And it was a very quick thing. It was like, boom, we, they brought in three actresses really quick. And they had them spend a few days having them read lines and stuff. And ultimately, they chose Elizabeth Barrage. <clears throat> I think she did a great job for it. I think it ended up being the right I do, too, because well. her character seems very childlike and very, yeah, and- <laughs> very... Her face, very childlike. Right. And I just think her personality is very much like like Mozart's. Very mm, immature, in a way. Very immature qualities uh, to a certain extent. But then again, she's also smarter or is smarter in more worldly ways when it comes to the stuff that matters, like money, which Mozart isn't. And so I think it's a good uh, combination. And I just – I think how she – I think she did a great job. I think as an actress, you couldn't have asked for a better performance. Yeah, she fit really well in, you know, just complimenting Mozart's character, but also yeah, 
she, she shows growth where Mozart just kind of stays the same. It's just his music that develops, not himself. Yeah, I think that's a fair, you know, that's a fair point to be made there. Um, let's see what else is here. Uh, oh, Celieri, his music prior to this movie was uh, shrouded in obscurity, but has since uh, had a major, a major revitalization. Uh, so a lot of people now know his music. And it's regarded uh, in a much, much more positive light. Well, not that it wasn't back then either, but um, people don't view it as, I mean, you can't approach Mozart. But it's not the redheaded stepchild of music that people would like or the movie would like to make you think. Look, here, here's the thing. The movie, <clears throat> the movie is based, okay, so the idea that Salieri and Mozart had this awful relationship is not necessarily true. See, what happened was after Mozart passed away, well, before he had passed away, he wrote a letter to Constanze where he thought that he was being poisoned. And so when people find out about this after his death, there was a big, you know, brouhaha made over it. And so people were trying to figure out who might have been the person that poisoned Salieri. Well, anyway, a few years after his death, a play was written called Mozart and Salieri. And in the play, the guy who wrote the play, I can't think of his name right now, but the guy who wrote the play basically said Salieri poisoned Mozart and killed him. Oh, so he just kind of made up whatever he thought. So that stuck around until Salieri's death and after. And so the the play Amadeus was based on the stage play Mozart and Salieri. So, and then of course the movie is based on Amadeus, the play it's, it's the continuation of that supposed (laughs) idea. So based on what people know, I don't fault this work, but we'll talk about it briefly here before we wrap up. Um, the idea that, um, like Salieri was actually a very well-known composer at the time. He was he was regarded as one of the finest composers in Europe. So Salieri actually wasn't this patron saint of mediocrity that people like that the, the movie likes to make him out to be. He was actually a very celebrated composer. Now, ultimately, you're standing next to Mozart, and you're thinking, okay, nobody can compare to that, but that's true. <laughs> um, but no, he wasn't seen as this just weak composer he was a very good composer and he and Mozart while they probably had a uh, they didn't have a contentious relationship they probably were just you know as we said before you know they they probably were just competitors just in trying to yeah, constantly exactly. one up one another and just in on a on a quality level of quality of, of their operas and their music so <clears throat> So I don't think that they that Salieri ever did anything. I think that uh, he was just a very good composer in his day, before before Mozart's death and after Mozart's death. So yeah, he is an excellent composer, and I, I'm very certain that you know when you're you are like the main composer for the emperor, like you you got some talent. <laughs> you may not be legendary like Mozart, but you, you hold your own very well. There's a there's a scene in this movie. It's the one where I think it's the one where Mozart 
blows gas out of his ass. Uh, but he's sitting there playing, and a little boy smiles at him. And I guess that little boy is supposed to be Beethoven. Really? Yeah. <clears throat> yep. Huh, yep. So. Because Beethoven came not that long after Mozart died. So. And they're in the same area? I Vienna. Guess? Yep. Beethoven huh? grew up in Vienna. So there's about like 15, like 10, 15 years later is when he started to make his mark. So. Yeah. Both so, like, just God, <laughs> after Mozart passed, he's like, okay, let's continue on to this. Well, guy. I look at it this way. Beethoven passed, or no, uh, Mozart passes away in Sally. If this was actually true, Salieri is like, yes, I have killed Mozart. And then, damn, there's Beethoven. You know, like, he just he just can't <laughs> win, you know? Can't catch nope. a break. <clears throat> so... And then we find out that Salieri is the one who makes him deaf. And... Right. He's like, I'll find a way. I will find a way. And still both Beethoven, even while deaf, still writes more symphonies and conducts them. Yeah. So. And it's phenomenally stunning. Right. So great stuff. Uh, I I can't give this movie anything less than an A+, because it's just fantastic. Yeah, I'm in pretty much agreement with you. There. I don't, I don't fault this movie for not being maybe historically accurate. Um, some people really harp on that. Um, I, I, you know what? I understand that, and I, I think I've done that from time to time. But for this movie, it's just so good. It's just so fun, and it's just it's <laughs> such an entertaining movie. And it's just the characters are fantastic. The three dimensional, the just uh just the, the the tragedy of it all i mean is it true probably not or at least not as much as we think but i don't care i just love the movie i just think it's fantastic you know it's too good of a story to nitpick right so wonderful music wonderful performance great direction great script what else do you want right like what else do you need in a movie nothing <laughs> So, what about your final thoughts? You wrap up here. Let's see. I think like the director for this did such an amazing job. I mean, like there's nothing to really fault on this movie. Everything is so phenomenal. Like I could never harp on historical inaccuracies. Who really cares with a story like this? And with including, you know, such talent, the opera. I mean, the singers alone every time i hear like those notes just blows my mind right and to keep that included it's it's wonderful this movie is great and i couldn't believe that i'd never seen this before or like before you told me about this i i'd seen this poster but i'd never actually really heard of this movie and that's kind of crazy right right because not that long ago 30 years ago less than 30 years ago (laughs) yeah it was like 84 84 yep yep so, I guess it'd be like thirty. I guess it'd be like thirty. Thirty-three Three years. years. So, all right, everybody. I guess that's it for uh, <clears throat> for this episode. So, what we're going to start doing from now on, as uh, what I'm going to try to start doing, is when we know what movie we're going to be doing, what's coming up, I'm going to start putting out a little announcement. Just to let you know, like, hey, uh, next week or in a few days, we're going to be reviewing 
this movie. And that way, if you want to send in feedback so that we can actually read it on the podcast, you know, feel free to do so. So keep that in mind. Those will be popping up on the feed just to kind of give you a heads up as to what we're actually going to be talking about. Uh, so uh, just to let you know, not next week, but the week after, we're probably going to be reviewing Dark City. The 1998 Dark City sci-fi movie, really fantastic. Uh, one of Roger Ebert's all-time favorite movies. So check that out if you don't know about it already. If you've watched it and you like it, you can you know prep your feedback or you can even send it in ahead of time. It's fine. Uh, if you didn't like it, send in some feedback because you know it's still going to be a good time. <coughs> yeah, and next week uh, it's my movie. I haven't picked yet. So we'll be sending out a little uh, message um, on the podcast feed on what I'm going to be picking. I'm so indecisive. <laughs> I can just like, I'll make a list and I just cannot pick anything. Yeah. But I'll find something. Okay. <laughs> All right, everybody. That looks like uh, we're done for this episode. So I guess um, if you want to send in some feedback regarding this movie, feel free to do so. You can do so at at freakinggeeksmedia at gmail.com. You can also uh, contact us on Twitter, uh, Sarah. Uh, you can contact her at, at Labyrinth Rose if you want to contact her personal one. But mm-hmm. on the uh, the Freaking Geeks side, what is the – is it just Freaking Geeks Media? It's at Freak Geeks Freak Media. Geeks Media. So, yeah. So contact us on there. Let us know what you think. If you have any feedback about the movie or if you just want to talk to us a little bit, uh, ask questions, feel free to do so. But until, uh, until we talk to you next time, have a good week, and we'll see you then. Okay, have a good one, geeks. Zone, which are the songs that I use for the intro and outro music, are written by Kevin McLeod.